Hello, welcome to Electric Theory. My name is Gina Shear and I'm your host. Today's guest is a seasoned technology executive with 14 years of experience. He excels in orchestrating digital transformation and driving innovation for business success. He is known for his independent thinking and creative problem solving and he consistently delivers tangible value to his clients. His career highlights include roles as Senior Regional Sales Manager at Rockspace and Enterprise Account Manager at Oracle. Currently, as the founder of Eats Rescue, he leads a groundbreaking innovation wearing multiple hats in leadership, strategy, and execution. He envisions the Eats mobile app as a catalyst for positive change, addressing environmentalist sustainability, supply chain optimization, and food sourcing. Beyond his professional endeavors, David is a passionate drone technology enthusiast exploring innovation applications for this emerging tech. As a visionary leader, entrepreneur, and advocate for environmentalist, social, and governance, ESG principles, he is poised to leave a significant impact on technology and beyond. He has also lived internationally and understands the merging markets. Please help me welcome the one and only Mr. David Stenson. I'm here to talk about success. Hello, welcome to the Electric Theory Podcast. Thank you for having me, Gina. I'm so excited that you're here. So I wanted to bring you on because you're in a very unique space that not many people are even educated on that exists, which I find very fascinating. And I have had the pleasure of having the experience myself with a former company of a similar space of what you do, not quite as high and intelligent and great of a company as you are. Please give us a little bit of background and then we'll jump into your story with Eats and how that evolved. So probably goes back 30 plus years or so that I was uh, working in college and I was uh, working at a, at a pub in Boston and the uh, owner of the pub allowed me to donate the food that he had left over every day. And every day it was sandwiches and rice and, and potatoes and things like that, you know, fresh clam chowder made for the day. Yeah. And uh, that and some other things. But anyways, the, the, I said, well, do you mind giving this away? And sure, there's a place in Boston called Rosie's Place, and there are people that are unsheltered, homeless, so they don't get into a shelter at nighttime. At 10 o'clock at night, you can't get in, and they're in the street. And so we would, a friend of mine and I, would we would leave the, the restaurant and then take, pack it into the to-go containers and take it over to this place but many times we didn't get as far as that because it's homeless all around the city and right. so you just give it out as you gave you know with mix and but you'd end up with eight or ten different containers yeah so about three weeks of doing that 11 12 one o'clock in the morning leaving the restaurant the owner came to me albie glenn no somebody that my family knew very well at that time they came over from uh, ireland with my mom at the same time so there's contemporaries my parents and he said david are you giving away the food, because he leaves in the afternoon. Sure. And he said, I said, yeah. He said, using all the to-go containers. He said, I've had to purchase now twice when I usually only buy once Yeah. a month. And I said, that's why I packed the food. And he said, listen, you can have the food, but you'd have to pay me for the to-go containers. To -go containers. Yeah. yeah. So, students, 
just wasn't feasible. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm working to pay for school and, yeah. so, and living at home. And so I, that, that ended the business of goodwill that was you know, yeah. in my heart at 20 something years old. Sure. And fast forward to I'm recently, just curious, how much were those containers? Did they give you a price on them? I, they must've been 25 cents or something. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. you got for months and days. Sure. Yeah. We didn't get that far. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had the intention, but not the, not the pockets to, to back it up. Yeah. And so fast forward to the, during COVID, we had launched a mobile app in January of 2020. And the reason we built this mobile app, it was so my daughter could sell her baked goods. She was 12 years old and she wanted to start her own business. And we didn't want to build a website and have her on Facebook and Instagram on social media because that's yeah. the way people sell. You know, sure. there's cottage food goods and you can sell them. There's people that sell baked food that's cooked also, but they use the Facebook and Instagram. We didn't want her on Facebook and Instagram. So we... Uh, a friend of mine and I uh, built her in a mobile app, and she could very simply take a picture of her dessert, cakes and cupcakes, and she would then uh, post it with a, de- with a description and a price. And if you had the app, and that was mostly local people from my church and our community and, and things like that, they could then pay for it inside the app. Okay. And So you literally built out this whole product for your daughter. Yeah, so we, was- we, we, we have we've thought that the hypermarket hyper-local market of what Craigslist and OfferUp and LetGo were doing mm-hmm. you know, was something mm-hmm. very interesting. Of course, that's now Facebook Marketplace. And, and we thought that was just something that, that would protected her. Right. Because she could text her inside the app and you didn't get her personal information. And really thought that was the way to do it for a young woman. Yeah. You know, 13 years old. Yeah. And so we launched it and they were using it. And we had done a lot of work with the homeless community. And feeding the unsheltered in, in Dallas yeah. uh, as a family mission, let's say. It's, something, it's, a, it's a great way to, to, to give back to the community and yeah. also to teach your children how, to, you know, how things can be for other people and be sure. thankful and be grateful. Something Josh was talking about, to be grateful. Yeah. So as a parent, you really want to do that. Yeah. Well, that's what we wanted to do. Yes. Not everybody's forced to do it. It is what you should do. So you did the right thing. Well, we, we, we that was good, right? So we think it's going for good all over. And we we launched the app. We got during COVID in March. We started to get donations from restaurants that weren't rotating food. They are local restaurants, Dallas and, and Irving. And we realized that there was a, a the food was there, and so we started yeah. to get cooks that were out of work to cook this food up for the homeless. Okay. Because there's nobody out. Right. And so the church organizations that usually serve on Sundays and things like that, we're just not, we're not doing that. And how did these restaurants know about the app that you had built for your daughter's cupcake or yes. dessert business? So uh, mostly through the people that we were working with through the homeless community. So it started small, but we started to get so much food and we realized that there's a ton of food. So you look it up and some of the statistics are that 40% of all food produced for human consumption doesn't get consumed by humans. And so you realize it's from the farm, started at the farm during the whole uh, supply chain, food is thrown out. And, yeah. you know, and then there's also a piece of that, which is home food, right? So there's, you know, there's significant amounts of it. I won't get the breakdown, but it's $205 billion a year. It's a wow. lot. It's a lot of money. It's wow. over $400 million a day in food waste. And so we started to doing the same, with the same app that we built for our daughter, we started to think about what else we could do in the larger impact. And we always thought that maybe the first app would be cool to white label to other cooks and have a community. So you could have your own app if you wanted a catering company. So we thought we thought a little bigger, but we didn't think the way we were thinking about food waste. Sure. We learned food waste 
and we experienced it, and we realized that there's so much food. So we built a second app called Food Eats Rescue. And this app allows a nonprofit to receive food at any time of day and then disperse that food immediately. Because what happens is, what we realized is there's so much food available that, that a nonprofit may go to a store, maybe yeah. Tom Thumb or Kroger or Costco, sure. and they pick up a ton of mangoes right. or a ton of potatoes or carrots or whatever it is, yeah. bakery goods, and they just can't get rid of it quick enough. And right. so that a lot of times that food will get stuck somewhere in the going out channel where it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't go into the community. And sometimes it's getting picked up from so far away that you don't know what happens to it. But the truth is, that's where the statistics come up. The, the yeah. statistics show that this food is going to waste. Yeah. And so we built the second app called Eats Rescue, and it allows that nonprofit to post it. So if you're part of the community and you're within a certain mile radius, you would get a notification on your phone that this food's available. And it could be in the afternoon, it could be at nighttime, it could be a catering event, it could be food that's coming in at 12 o'clock. It could be a pizza at Pizza Hut that's being, you know, yeah. that's misordered and then go in the trash. So all that food can be then connected to somebody in the community that's a volunteer mm-hmm. and the volunteers know where that food needs to go. Sure. So we built that piece of it. It's incredible. And we launched a couple of months ago after a lot of trialing, we were both working, you know, my partner and I were both working full time. My wife was, you know, working on the business with us and so it was, we were still doing it with so much food, you really couldn't take time out right? because you're still inundated with food the whole right. time. <laughs> right. Because you, you never get ahead, right? Yeah. So I'm like, we just need to get this out. Yeah. And we raised some money, friends and family, and some, some, some people that would also had our passions. And usually people fall into two groups. It's either they hate food waste yeah, or they love to feed people and take care of people. And they see the need in the community. And so we've got a good mix on our team of people that do both. Why do you think people hate the food waste aspect? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I, that's my, my, my interest, I guess. I just think it's such a shame that we put such a tremendous amount of resources and water and fertilizer and time and effort into, into making something that just gets sure. wasted. It really it goes, it goes into local landfills. And just, I just don't see right. any value to, to anyone except maybe the garbage collecting companies, the waste removal. Yeah. If there's more waste, the better for them. Right. Um, but I don't think that's done on purpose. I just really think that the lack of technology investment in this sector is something that's, that's being managed by nonprofits in a very, a very honorable way yeah. is still just not solving the problem. There's, right. know, there's tens of thousands, if not, there's 1.6 million nonprofits in the United States, 25% of those at least have, food event, yeah. you know, where they're trying to feed the community or they're, they're doing some, you know, volunteer drives and can drives and, or volunteering their time to, to stand in line. And, and during COVID, we saw it. Like it was 77 million people there volunteering. So that's crazy. We were thinking, like, how do we do this in, to really make a bigger impact? How can we bring this food and benefit the local community instead mm-hmm. of the local land? Right? And so that's what we really started to build. Onboarding platform for volunteers to connect that food that is coming from the source mm-hmm. to the people in the community. And then how do you make that circle benefits really? Right. How, how has it been connecting it to nonprofits? Have you seen the whole integration process of your app being built, now launched, and people can readily have it available, to connecting with the grocery stores to be able to produce the photos that show the food that's available to then the nonprofits to come pick it up. Is that whole cycle now working? Yes. Yes. That's we, awesome. We built this 
with and a, a very deep understanding of what nonprofits are uh, are have to deal with. Yeah. As far as recording the information and kind of to think of how this works today is a nonprofit might pick up at one of the local grocery stores and then they bring it back and usually it's a volunteer or a truck and they're bringing it back and they have to document that and then they mm-hmm. have to shelf that and then they used to they give that away on certain days of the week. And so there are large organizations and then there are smaller organizations. The large organizations are much more disconnected from the community. Yeah. The smaller organizations are really tightly knit into the community. They're local volunteers. That are, a lot of them are, are very active members of the community. Yeah. And so if you can get the stores, what we see, if we can get the stores to see that the food is coming from certain from certain from a certain store in a certain neighborhood and getting back to the, the closest in need. Right. Community. Right. Within that local community, there's benefits all over. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that at that point, too, it cuts back on the perishable time of food by being able to get it to a local resource, something that's in the neighborhood, to be able to get it distributed faster as well. Less than one hour. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a process that takes days and days of food waste. A lot of the, the Nonprofits picking up food mm-hmm. at groceries will not take perishable, or they literally just take it and throw it in the trash. Wow! It's not for two days, they don't have refrigeration for right. it, and so this just-in-time in logistics management of donations, yeah, all the back-end reporting that the companies, the surplus, the actual companies with the surplus now that right. the farmer or the, the grocery store needs wants. But today they're just they're basically doing it on the back of a napkin, and then they right. have their own controls, which they key out information, they key out. But there's no real analytics around that. And then of course the nonprofits get it, and it's almost a completely manual process, except for one company that's doing something in this space. Everything else is pretty manual. Where wow! Literally just a piece of paper, and it goes into Excel, and then they two days later that would go out to the community. Perishable stuff is just many times is no good anymore. Yeah. I've seen a similar company do that, and they typically do take perishable items, but they do get deteriorated relatively quickly because of the reasons you had just described. I'm curious what happens when you have, say, an 18-wheeler come drop off a load at a grocery store, and maybe that grocery store hasn't sold out of the produce they already have stocked on the shelves. What then happens to that 18-wheeler? Where do they go? What do they do? So there's maybe there's... Sounds like two questions. One is when the 18 wheeler shows up and they show up with product that the grocery store receives and the grocery store hasn't moved their own product. Correct. So that one, that grocery store would take that product off the shelf and donate it or throw it away. Okay. So new product would replace old product. Okay. Okay. What happens also frequently and somewhere around two and a half, three percent of all product that's, that's delivered by trucks gets declined at receivership. That means that let's just an example here. You've got a truck coming in with that's full of has fifty pallets on it. Yeah. Well, and when it depends on what how they're stacked and rested, but some damage has been done to one of those pallets. Right. That pallet would not be received. So that truck, they get everything off the truck, and that pallet would stay on it. So we had a case where there was two over two thousand pounds of, of meat mm-hmm. in one large pallet that was going to be processed at a processing plant. Okay. And they took three of the pallets, and they left one of the pallets. Okay. And that pallet... And, and for size reference, how large is that pallet? Oh, uh, that's 
probably, probably a little bigger than this table square. Okay. So it's a significant square. size of meat. Yeah, 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 yeah. The what happens is that truck then then leaves that store and then has to turn around and get rid of that. Ooh, sure. They, a lot of times they just take drive it to the dump. Yeah. Because as soon as that truck is supposed to be empty, they're supposed to go to pick up something else again. Right. So that logistics piece is they're pretty good at just making sure that truck is used and then goes to the next place that they're going to do a pickup. Whether right. Once a day, twice a day, depends on what that, the trucking hours look like and what they're, what they're, how, many, how many hours they've been driving. Sure. But that food would be a, an obstacle for them going and doing another job. Mm -hmm. And so they have a choice. They can throw it out. They could give it away. They, sometimes they'll get that. They'll say, okay, we're not going to receive that. And so they get a call back to the main office and it says, Hey, what are we going to do with this pallet? And they try to connect it somewhere. But if it's perishable, it's going to go pay fast. Refrigeration. You've got to yeah. pay refrigeration. You've got to pay diesel. Right? right. You've got to pay that trucker to drive it someplace else. So there's all sorts of costs there. Mm -hmm. And a large percentage of those times, you just throw it out. Right. You know, if it's small enough to throw in the dumpster, they'll do it. And that's not a judgment on them. They're just not compensated for the extra time it takes to get rid of it. Yeah. It becomes an obstacle for them to do their job. And so we had a truck that had this pallet of meat on it, and the owner of the pallet found out through Ron Hall, who's, who's one of our sponsors, the same kind of foundation, same kind, same kind of different as me. Okay. It's a book, and it was made, also made a movie. He's a Fort Worth, Dallas person that's very well known in the space. Okay. And he's one of our sponsors, and he had said, hey, David, this food is here. Can you do it? So I said, sure. So we went over to take a look at it, and we checked the temperature on it. Yeah. Uh, because there's a you know there's a record of that temperature and it shows the uh, the bobbin you know below numbers on that refrigeration unit. Sure. And it was refrigerated. It had been there for half a day or something like that. Okay. So it was fresh, and we we then posted it on the app, and within two hours we had moved over two thousand pounds. There was about sixty families that wow. had fresh meat, fresh entire meat from this pallet. They were with the instruments they wanted to take it. With. So there were bags and coolers and things like that. But yeah. this was uh, like say, I think four months ago. So that was where we really started to say, okay, this works and it works well. And it allows anybody that has surplus food. So you could be at a corporate event and you mm -hmm. could see the pizza that's getting left over. We've all seen that. There's also the salad. Yeah. All these salad bars. There's so much food waste. It's everywhere. Yeah. So our, really what we want to do is just to make sure that food doesn't go into local landfills. Like my passion to see, I'd be happy to see that food never reach local landfills. Right. And that's in benefit to to everyone in the community yeah. that's going to eat the food or and have to deal with the, the, the trash that goes in the local landfills. Yeah. And that's that was a big win for us. It proved out to our sponsor, one of our sponsors, there are a couple of our sponsors, but that was a big, because he hadn't seen it. In, and we actually, it was our second day of launching the app. We've been working on oh, this. For, wow. this is, we've, been, we've been working on this, the technology and the platform behind it for about a year and a half. That's awesome. So we launched on April 1st. And this was April 2nd, I think. It was a Sunday. I can't remember. It was April 2nd. So that was exciting for us. Yeah. So from there, we basically just opened up to another 22 nonprofits. And there are nonprofits that now want to uh, post within certain small groups instead of the general pub public. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've driven this recently because some of the nonprofits and some of the stores want to be able to create smaller groups. So they want yeah. to be able to edit the nonprofits that get the notifications. Okay. If a store like a Kroger or a Costco wants to post their food at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they only really want it to go to the nonprofits that are on their list. Today, they do that manually, or they wait until the following day, or they wait until the following days that the nonprofit 
that's supposed mm -hmm. to pick up yes. the pantry or any one of these the large trucks that come by. It's just, it's not in time. It's not, it's really, it's usually late. It's at least 24 hours late or at least 12 or 24 hours later. And the perishables go, you know, there's no refrigeration. They're leaving them in the, in the, in the back area. Yeah. There are some rules on what they need to do. Frozen mates need to be frozen that day. So if it's by a Best Buy, Best Buy date, they're supposed to be frozen that day. But there's no space. These grocery, right. the grocery stores are very efficient. There's not a lot of uh, extra space. The inventory is what they call just in time or, or, or almost just in time. They're getting product in, from a truck and they're putting it on the shelf. And so there's not a lot of storage space. And so these pallets of food really become a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are today. So we've solved for the nonprofits and now we're solving for the grocery stores and the Starbucks and the Pizza Huts. Yeah. So just to be clear, you guys are a for-profit company. Correct. And so how does a company like yours that connects so closely with these nonprofits, how do you guys make money from these grocery stores? Or how do you make money in general, not necessarily from the grocery stores, but as a business, how are you yeah, so we, making it? We've stumbled upon this. And what we realized is that what we were doing for goodwill, like my daughter, yeah, and then for a few nonprofits that came to us with the problem, we built a second app, mm -hmm. Peace Rescue, we realized that there should be a, a revenue model. And so subscriptions is what we've now moved to. Okay. And because there's a lot of benefits. If the store, the Pizza Hut, can post pizza, and if it's just one every week, mm -hmm. the social media benefits are in the thousands of dollars yeah. per store. Yeah. Because people that are local are and active will go to that store to buy their pizza compared right. to the company. Right. And so there's also reporting and there's also tax deductible receipts that get generated for that store. Right. So there's financial benefits, there's benefits to the community, there's benefits to the to the people that are actually their their consumers. Yeah. And the local volunteers are get excited about mm -hmm. bringing that food to somebody that can use it. There's somebody in need. There's people that are suffering, their families in need. There are people, their families that are not getting enough food for their children. And this is just, everybody wins, right? You can, feel, you can feel good about, you know, bringing a pizza to somebody that, you know, that, that's pizza. Okay, well, it's, it's still better food than or salads or something like that. Sure. Really. We've got, we've got a whole, hundreds of reviews in, in Apple and Google. And the people are all really passionate about it. It's really yeah. because the food pantries many times are where we give out canned goods. Mm -hmm. So we have people that will come from further away than we expected yeah. to come get fresh food. Right. I can only imagine. And I was going to ask, who are usually the recipients of this food? Are they people that would typically be going to food pantries and such? Are they the main recipients or is it open to anybody? How does how do the nonprofits find the people that need to be the recipients of this fresh produce or food? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the times it's nonprofits themselves that bring to their communities and their people, their, 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 their groups. Yeah. And, uh, but a lot of times it's also the people that collect, that collect directly from the food pantries. And I'd say the majority, 80, 80 plus percent are women. Uh, a lot of times they're head of household women. Yeah. So with, with children. Mm -hmm. We've got um, a couple of cancer, women cancer groups. Okay. That are cancer support groups mm -hmm. that want fresh. And so we've, been able to direct a lot of that to kind of those needy groups and as we're growing we really see an opportunity to do more around that so there's this, this certain example a veterans group 
is a group that supports veterans. They want to be able to post what they get to that group specifically. Yeah. And that's a passion. So we want to feed their passions and who they want to help in the community. And so we've been building the technology towards directing that platform. So it's almost like you were going to order a taxi, and I won't say that name of the company, but if you're going to order one of these taxis services, yeah, you can choose who you want it to go to. So if you want this type of vehicle, then you right. can, it will go out just to those vehicles. It doesn't right. go out to the, you know, to the small cars. It goes out to the black. Yeah. And with that in mind, just think of all the technologies available and push notifications and, 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 and targeted to demographics and age groups that you can play with and make sure that you really get this to the most needy. Right. And we do some vetting around, around when people sign up, Mm -hmm. we get certain information on who they are and and things like that and what their passions are and also uh, what organizations they belong to. But we also have organizations that have brought on their own groups and they just use that as their own. So every time they do a post, it only goes to their own group, but they have the option to go into a larger group if they have extra food. Okay. That's good. Then it literally never goes to waste. I'd love to hear that. I know people are going to ask, so whatever happened to your daughter's business? Sophia Stenson, <laughs> for the record. Sophia Stenson, she, she, she was very passionate about baking at 12 and doing her business. And so we launched and she was she, 13. She, I think she did close to $8,000 worth of business wow. at 13 to 14 years old. It's and very impressive. Everybody was home during COVID. And so we had our older twins also. It was very exciting. We had a great time. Like, That's awesome. Everybody was miserable, and we were so happy as a family. It was just amazing. That's but so fun. I feel almost guilty trying to say it, but the truth is that we just we had a, we had a great time. Yeah. Know, we were out every day, six, seven days a week, picking up food from different places and then making sure that was got connected to who was in our community. You know, that could use it. What a memorable experience as a family, and then also on top of that, like such a teachable moment for your kids and. Right. I'm sure you're like an iconic dad now to well, yeah. your daughters all to be able to see. All children complain about their father. <laughs> they'll see this later on and understand what, yeah. you, what you did. So she really did a lot of baking. She did 28 Bundt cakes in one day wow. for the first responders. Wow. So that was exciting. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of precise measurement in baking. Yes. And she really had, you know, she really learned a lot. It was experience on board. And so she hasn't done much of recently, but she did it for two years. She did it almost entirely full time. She's now a senior in high school. Okay. She has her sights on the medical profession and she has been studying and really just focused on that. Yeah. So baking's in the background. Baking is in the background. Yeah. She has her, uh, she has, she has her Instagram page that she used to use on my wife's phone. She didn't even have her own phone until she was 16. Yeah. So she's only had a phone for a year and a half or something like that, but. She had her own site. Was uh, what was uh, I can't remember the name of it. I don't remember. It's okay. It was a great run for her, and an even better run for you. Yeah, no. So, but for, <laughs> for us, it really opened the doors to see a world of food waste that yeah. we thought we could move the technology platform, the experience, and the team's experience, and our personal experiences to doing something that was much more impactful, much better. Yes. And then we've also figured out a way to, to monetize. There's a lot of work to be done. This is not something. So one of the things about nonprofits is that they're continuously raising money. Right. And a sustainable enterprise is something that should, you know, can give back to the community and also should make enough money so you don't have to raise money asking for money all the time during the sure. business. 
And it also allows you to, to look at the business, you know, or, or the, the your, your work as something that can, that can produce something maybe a little faster. Yeah. And so that's where we are. We've really realized that this has all come from the experience of doing what we did. Yeah. And of course the food pantries have that experience. I just think they were lacking the, 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 the outlet to tell yeah. how, how, what they really needed. And so right. that's what, you know, working with Taste of Hope, working with the Irving, Irving, Irving Cares, working with a lot of the organizations in downtown Dallas and Austin Street Center, just understanding what they were really missing in technology and how that technology could really help them was what we focused on. So that's what we Yeah, did. that's incredible. You guys took such a complex problem and mm-hmm. without even really knowing it, obviously it sounds like this all stemmed from your daughter's business but found this complex problem and really found the solution to it. And so can we dive into a little bit about your background? Because maybe this plays a part with how you're able to help solve and put those pieces together to solve this complex problem and continue to solve it. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did before you started Eats as a company? Give us a glimpse of your background and some of the problems that you were able to solve then to help integrate to what you do now. Yeah, so when I was in college, I double majored. Like a lot of people, I studied, mine was Spanish literature and language, and I wasn't a native-speaking Spanish person. You can, yeah. I can't say you can tell, but you can probably, <laughs> from my accent, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. My name. And I double majored economics and Spanish. In Spanish, I left the country to work, and I came back four years late. So I had great, uh, great uh, book skills. Okay. I'd read a lot of great authors in Spanish. It was the equivalent of an English major in Spanish. Okay. And 17 courses in college. Wow. And, uh, and, then I, and then Spanish. I lived abroad. So I lived abroad and I worked with computers in restaurants and I worked importing for four years. Came back and I uh, eventually got a job within a year or so with a technology startup that was doing work in Latin America. Wow. And I um, was then expatted working. In Latin America. So I've lived a total of 14 years in Latin America, mostly Mexico, but I've traveled all of Latin America. And before that, I traveled all of Europe. So I really had a chance to see a lot of the the Western world anyways. That's awesome. Uh, since I've been further up, further east. Yeah. So uh, what when we started the app, we thought, well, there's lots of home cooks mm-hmm. and people that cook at home. And Sophie was just had an aspiration to do something, and so we wanted to support her. But we realized there was a larger market. So yeah. I, you know, we were always focused on where this could go, but what they say, focus locally, right? Politics, yeah. right? Focus, think globally, focus locally, right? You need to really think of how this, so how this can be affected. And so we thought, so if we can do this, so we can, maybe somebody else would want to go ahead and do it. And after we came back from Mexico, after my last 10 years abroad, we've been in Dallas for 11 years, we, I was working at, uh, at Rackspace and Oracle. I was working with American Airlines, United Airlines. And so for, for the last five or six or seven years, I was working with technology companies. So, and before that was the last 10 years. So it was a total of about almost 20 years in technology companies. Yeah. Cloud-based, cutting-edge, internet-based communications. Yeah. And the, so going and starting a small startup for my daughter on a mobile app was a little bit out of my, relative space. Yeah. But I really had a great friend and partner with uh, Juan, Juan Ovalle, and Candy Ovalle. And uh, he really liked it. He liked the idea of doing this for our daughter. And so we went ahead and planned it and, 
and, and, and did it and executed it. And have had a great relationship before and after. And so we've yeah. gone to their wedding. We've gone to all sorts of events with them. And so it's been a lot of fun. The whole process has been a lot of fun. I don't think we haven't been really stressed, except for the amount of food waste that we end up seeing <laughs> still going to waste because yeah. we, we need to grow faster. But that's really been in the last couple of months. Yeah. That's... So technology is my background. And 20 plus years in computers and technology and then mobile apps are, are some people would say, you know, what well, is web-based tools. Mobile apps are not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. And the smartphones are getting smarter. And so you can do so much more with, with mobile apps. If you look at what, what WhatsApp is doing and yeah. all, these, all these kind of really easy platforms to connect people peer-to-peer. And at the end of the day, there's an opportunity to do that in the food business because yeah. food is being produced at farms. Think of all the honey that's produced here in Texas. Yeah. And they would love to get it to local families sure. that want that product locally. And the only way to do that today is the farmer's market. Yeah. But the farmer's market needs a tool. Mm-hmm. So the trucks need a tool. The farmer's market mm-hmm. needs a tool. Right? There's a bunch of underdressed markets. So that yeah. process is very exciting. Speaking of, this was something that had come up just a couple of days ago when I ran into an event here in Dallas. And as we were talking about food waste and sustainability and ESG and all of these buzzword topics. I had addressed something with you about recycling pumpkins, like fall pumpkins. We're rolling around into fall time right now. I may not completely feel like it outside yet, but we're getting there. And so many people decorate their front porches, myself included, with fall decor with a bunch of pumpkins and what I had done last year, which I learned from a lady that's involved here in Dallas heavily with just being more eco-friendly. And she has a refillery station. Her name is Adriana Cal. She had encouraged me to recycle these pumpkins afterwards, not just to throw them in the dumpster, but to give them back to uh, pig farmers or whatever other areas that they can be recycled in. And this is something that you had said that you guys are working on with your app this year. Do you mind telling our listeners what that looks like for any of them that are going to be decorating their porch or have access to pumpkins that may be then going into a landfill after? Yeah, so we were talking uh, with Jay at, uh, I think it's 840 Farms. It is 840farm.com. And he had mentioned last year that he had a successful thousands of pounds of pumpkins collected by somebody locally wow and then donated to him so he has a truck bed that they can receive these pumpkins so again logistics um yeah probably not feasible for, for some one person to go around that is feeding the animals yeah and try to pick up the pumpkins off somebody's porch or right. the day they're going to throw them out but they are local groups that would coordinate this and so we would encourage the local groups and then use a platform like ours to identify that that food is available. Yeah. And it's simple. You can just say, hey, on this day, I'm going to have this amount in a neighborhood, and then somebody will go get those. Yeah. So I know that Jay was Jay said, there's a couple of times this has been done, and if people have the initiative to do it, then we would be a good way to, for them to connect to those people because you can post it, and then somebody would claim it yeah. inside the app, and then that would you know, help connect that food instead of it going waste. Yeah. So how can we as individuals stay up to date on like how to do 
do that food rescue part with our pumpkins at the end of fall when we're when we're done with them and you guys are collecting them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, uh, I know that the initiative is there, and the question would be how to organize it. And I think that part of that is that there's local community members that would be interested. And I think we continue to talk about it, mm -hmm. and so people talking about it creates interest, right? Buzz. And then you start to get align the people around the dates, yeah, and how when that, what that would look like, yeah. And then really the way you do that is through the platform, yeah. It could be, you know, to, uh, in the case our, our, our you know our platform is built for something like that, yeah. Identifying food before it goes to waste, those pumpkins it's going to be there. There's there's a half a ton of pumpkins, and you can pick them up on on Sunday or the you know, trash day is Wednesday, and they're going to be there. Yeah. Local activists, local community people are the most. It should be the most motivated to try to solve right. this because it's going right. to go into their landfill. Right. And then there are people that are just a couple of miles away that would use this for animal feed. Right. And it's such it's a much more efficient way to, to manage this. Decompose of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's a yeah. shame it's not done more. Right. But I, I don't think there was a way to do it really beforehand. Or at least there wasn't a lot of thought put forward to it. Yeah. And so that's something we have to change. Yeah. No, if you can keep us up to date whenever this is resolved and you have a great solution for it and you say, hey, this day at this location, drop off your pumpkins, then I myself will spread the word to anybody I know that has pumpkins on their porch because I myself would much rather be giving those pumpkins to a pig farm or a sheep farm or whatever other animals that would put them to use and actually eat them versus them just sitting in a landfill because I know how important that is. And I do think it's important that we all do play our part in actually making the world a cleaner place. Yeah, you know, it's a great sentiment and it's a great thing to do. <laughs> we, we welcome more people like you in the world. <laughs> Definitely does take a village I, for everyone I, I, to play I, their part. Know, I, and I, it does take a village. It, it's nice to hear that people are, you know, are starting to think about it more and that there's an easier way to do to, to, to participate. Yeah. And we're working on something that I would love to be able to say today that it's all ready. But, right. you know, if we ha we'll have it, we'll have it for a couple of cities. Yeah. It could be bigger. Uh, but anything that we can do is impactful. Yeah. And then the question is how big of an impact, right? But this is, this is food. It's a great example of food that could be diverted to a much better use. Yeah. That's not being diverted. Yes. The fall is my favorite season, so if we could yes. do anything to make the fall better. Yeah. Except moving it to later in the fall and maybe early in the fall, but it's, it's the time of the year is a great time of the year. Halloween kicks off the whole yeah. part of the end of the year, which is just wonderful too. It'd be great to you know to to think of that more ways to. There's so much that could be recycled, right? But the yeah. pumpkins are that's a really kickoff date, mm -hmm. right? A couple of days after Thanksgiving there, and those pumpkins are no longer being used. Right. So that's great. Uh, great. Uh, organic matter to be recycled. Right. Uh, that would be a hit. So that's what we're focused on for the next, for the next couple of weeks. If you put all that together, it would be, be successful. Well, keep us posted on that because I'll be definitely contributing to those pig farmers with my pumpkins. She has a passion for pumpkins. <laughs> they do make great decor. <laughs> this is a question I want to throw out at you. And actually, I was asked this earlier today talking about just sustainability with someone else. And honestly, like I'm guilty myself of not doing a great job of being sustainable within my own life and here for the earth. 
really up until last year, like I made some significant changes in my own day-to-day usage, different things that I had done significantly last year around this time. And I think one of the people I was talking with today, they were just like, you know, how do you, the, the topic itself is so big as far as waste. Where do you start? And my own answer to this question was like, you just start with one thing, whether that's going to a refillery and refilling your bottles at a different, like at a refillery station and putting the product in your plastic bottle. So you're not just throwing those away. Or for myself, one of my biggest changes last year at this time was instead of buying bottled water, then buying like the five gallon jugs and refilling those to just put my water in a mug and carry that around all day. So there were several changes I had integrated myself into my daily practice of just life. But I'm curious for yourself, one, what's one way that someone can make those changes, like something that they can do to make a big difference in their daily life to become more eco-friendly and sustainable within their daily journey of making the world a better place. And then also within the food waste in everyone's own home, what would you say to that? So you have started doing something already, which is just taking the first step. Yeah. Sometimes decisions can be overwhelming with so many options. Making a decision is, is, is we don't know if we're making the right decision, so we don't make any decision. Right. Paralysis by analysis. Right. And you did it, right? So you took one thing. I think that's a great strategy. And if you can start, if somebody's going to listen to this and does want to do something before around the holidays here with uh, Halloween coming, let's start with pumpkins. Yeah. Right? You hate them, it sounds like, very much. <laughs> it sounds like you want to strangle these pumpkins. <laughs> it's going to landfill a, a, a very... You know, short term would be mm-hmm. to you know to sign up and contact me. I'll plug myself here, but David at eatsapp e e t z app dot com, and reach out and we can coordinate those pumpkins getting to a, a, a partner yeah. that would help us. If they coordinate locally, then we can get it transported and identified and transported to somebody. Yeah, um, they can use them. They can we'll recycle them in a much better way than yeah. going to a landfill. So that's one. Mm-hmm. And then as far as at home. Conscious buying, I think, is smaller portions and you know, rotating your product. And also, we have a couple of people that have actually just posted the pictures inside of Eats Rescue and okay. given it away to local people. This is like from someone's personal Correct. home that they yeah, have too much food. Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's a great cans, idea. sometimes it's juices, sometimes people are traveling. We have a woman that was just was traveling for four days and something was going to expire. Yeah. And she doesn't doesn't use it after expiration date. Right. So she decided to post it and it was gone within, within they picked it up the next morning. So literally anyone could post food she in the app. posted at 9 o'clock at night, texted inside of the app, and they came by at 7.15 in the morning to pick it up. Wow. That's awesome. So, you know, the, the, the app can be used for just for that, just simple as, yeah. as simple as that. That's awesome. Yeah. I know myself, I have, again, just within my own personal sustainability <laughs> journey this last year, I've taken food that maybe if I make a big pot of soup and I'm not going to eat the whole pot myself before it's like going to go bad, I'll take a couple meals worth and eat that, keep that myself and then take the rest and just package it up and give it to homeless person in the nearby area. But not everybody even has 
homeless people in their area maybe not feel comfortable giving it to them. So it's great to know that those that anyone could use that resource to be able to put their food out there. Yeah, I, I think most communities do have people in need. Right? Yes, it's not always absolutely. homeless people, but right. people in need, and there are volunteers that are very much have the same passion and the time and maybe yes. the connections and things that can help identify where it's needed mm-hmm. and then willing to go have somebody else go to get that. That's where I think this, this platform, this logistics platform, really this just in time logistics platform for food yeah. can really make a big difference. Yeah. You know, and beyond Dallas forward. Yeah. Uh, because the food waste is everywhere, but it's also at home. If you can post it, if you're the next time mm-hmm. you just, Take a picture and post it, and you'll see that somebody will come and get the food. Yeah. And with the, the, this latest Food Donation Improvement Act signed into law by the federal government on in January of this year, Food Donation Improvement Act protects and limits the, the, the people that are donating. So the people that are actually rescuing that food and getting it from a landfill into somebody's hands are protected with uh, the liability. Oh, good. Language. And so, yeah. Yeah. So one of the, one of the questions is always, can I be sued? And it's much mm-hmm. more, you're much more likely to get run over by a bus or have somebody fall down on the restaurant floor. Yeah. You see them do to try to get insurance money because the limit, limitation liability is, is, is very clearly, if you're doing this and you're donating it, you can't be sued for it. So if somebody gets sick, of course, we always worry about somebody getting sick. But if you're doing, if you're managing food with the right, specifications and yeah. the right dates and things like that people should not be getting sick yeah food, right are there regulations like on the app to say make sure you check your meat for this between this temperature and this temperature like you were saying earlier or make sure it's not beyond this expiration date are there specifics in the app of those regulations no we do not we do not check the food except for the first time we did this in the first couple of days we yeah. have to check it ourselves um Partly because we're in the process of doing this and yeah. learning this, and we wanted to make sure. But we do not. Each individual has this their own responsibility to do this. Mm-hmm. But again, canned foods are an example. You know, juices and, and, and things like that. Within the dates that they're supposed to be used, they're not. They shouldn't get anybody sick. But that's the right. responsibility of the donor. Right. Uh, in this case, Costco or Starbucks or Kroger uh, freezes. There's a like, regulations around what they need to freeze, what they need to refrigerate. Um, supposed to be followed to the the letter of the law, yeah. we're not there to do that. But that's something that they're very conscious that they need to do. Right. And so we're assuming that they do that. And we're assuming that the people that are getting the food also know that something's bad or good. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes Sometimes we, we receive fr- strawberries that have maybe one or two strawberries of a whole box. box of, it's a two-pound box container, of strawberries. Yeah. Container, yeah. And, you know, are not good. Mm-hmm. So their product will move. Just the yeah. people pick out the strawberries and, right. and eat them and wash yeah. them and eat them. So yeah. Most of the food that gets donated is within the date. Almost 100% is in the date of consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, the best buy date or the best, you know, or sell by date. Or right. Like so how are people finding out about the app in general? Whether that's for the major box stores that have too much product or for the recipient on the other end that consumes the food so up until now it's been word of mouth okay and it's either from uh consumers so somebody that's you know that has received the food mm-hmm. directly from a nonprofit or through the nonprofits themselves 
So the nonprofits are all very much connected. Yeah. A lot of times people will donate time to one and another, and so there's a little cross-pollination between the different nonprofits. Yeah. And we've just been really just focusing on making sure that the process is seamless. Yeah. And clean and, and trouble-free and effective at getting this food to somebody that needs it in the community. Mm-hmm. And really the, the right people in the community in time. Right. right. The time is the most powerful, you know, enemy here because right. it's the food that you know it's not we're not worried about this isn't about the cans of food that the pantry gives out right which are good these this are about the, the fresh these are fresh food this is the mm-hmm. fresh salads the mm-hmm. food that maybe maybe made in a restaurant in Mangiano's here right. in Dallas gives you a to-go container and a lot of those to-go containers don't ever get eaten right right because it gets cold but they give you one to go we had somebody post some other Mangiano's food and it was gone Within 15 minutes. Yeah. I just said, hey, I'm going to leave this here at the reception. And they left at the reception. Yeah. And so I thought it was, I thought it was great. Maggiano gets free publicity, right? Oh, right. I didn't, know, I didn't realize Maggiano's gave us to go, you know, and, but some people just don't eat, you know, we don't yeah. eat it, you know? Yeah. And so you can, we've had somebody else that packaged some of their, half of their meal to go to, to donate that. Yeah. And so that was great too, right? Yeah. And however you want to use the tools, right? Mm-hmm. A hammer, it was great to hammering things in, but you can also pull out nails with a hammer, mm-hmm. right? And so there's multifunction. Sometimes it just holds the window open. I don't know. You can, you can use a hammer for a lot of things, right? Yeah. And th- that's what we're trying to do. We're really trying to just give the people the tools they can help reduce this food waste to zero and in the process get the benefits to the community that, that, that is going to be fed right. and the stores that are giving it away. Give them recognition for all of their hard work and the work in the community. Yeah. And that's really important to, to local stores. There, that stores that want to give back, you know, you want them to get recognized. By. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is next for the Eats app in the ecosystem that you're building here? What's next with the technology? What's next with the integration within this? What would you love to see in the next coming year? Yeah. Expand beyond Dallas the rest of Texas, we're talking with a couple of organizations that are interested in growing this nationally okay. and, and, and really perfecting the process yeah. and making this as seamless, as easy as possible for anybody yeah. to be able to help reduce the food waste and get that to a family or shelter mm-hmm. or pantry mm-hmm. that wants it at that time that it's available. Yeah. And, and just connecting those pieces. We'd be satisfied to see this get to a million downloads and a certain amount of stores and have it become sustainable in the next you know, six or eight months is yeah. really our target. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm very excited for you guys to get there. What about for the listeners today? How can they stay up to date? How can they support you guys and stay in touch? How can they donate their pumpkins, get in touch with you guys with all of that? What are your... What's your website and social media handles? Yeah, so you can look us up at Eats App on Facebook and Instagram. And we've got over a thousand followers. We've done hundreds of community events. We have several community events uh, every week. And more, it's accelerating. Yeah. They can email me at david at eatsapp.com, E E T Z A P P.com. And we'd love to hear somebody that wants to do something in the community. This is, yeah. a, this is it's a lot of effort. And so I've been able to put some effort doing it into it and, uh, and coordinate with some of the local institutions and the nonprofits. 
and the more of the merrier, right? Yeah, I think absolutely. there's a lot more to do, and there's a lot more to expand. This. If we could, if we can get all that food from going to landfills, the amount of food is just an enormous amount of food. Enormous, I'm enormous, sure. sickly enormous amount of food that gets wasted. Yeah, that you know, if it didn't feed people, right? Then it fed animals, right? We'd be a lot better off. Yeah, we have a priority, which would be families. Yeah, right. People in need. Right, right. But there are. Homeless people. There are children that are going to bed. There's 17 million mm-hmm. children that go to bed without a solid, balanced meal. There are yeah. food deserts throughout our major cities, and I just don't. I don't see. I see that as such a waste. Right. Absolutely. And if it can't get there, if it can go to animals. Right. Right. If there's an, in this case around the, uh, around the farm that we're talking with Jay, you know, he he said they gobble. He gobbles the. They can go gobble up the mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. <laughs> at the leftover. <laughs> Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's a win, right? It's a win. And yeah. there's, but there's tax breaks here with this recent Food Donation Improvement Act, and and the community wins with by just reducing their waste to local local landfills. I mean, right. that, that waste would seep into water streams right. and, and underwater water streams, and it you know it just stinks. Yeah, right? it stinks all over. Yeah, stinks and stinks. Physically and yeah, and metaphorically. Yeah, metaphorically. <laughs> we are going to shift gears real quickly. The last person that we interviewed left you a question without knowing it was you. You get to open up this jar, read the question, answer it, and then we'll have you write one in return. That's cute. It's cute. (laughs) There's the jar. And I believe it's the very top one. It's a white slip of paper. That's the one I have to take. That is the one that you have to take. Yep. Let's see. Imagine being on your deathbed, looking back at your life. Now ask yourself, what would great look like? What do you see? Are you living in it now? Yes. It's a deep question. <laughs> it is a deep question. I was expecting something a little, a little lighter. I, did, I do think I'm living in my best moment. Yeah. Thank God my children are healthy. And my parents are still alive. And they're healthy. Yeah. As of today. And my dad is now 88. My wow. mom is 84. And my mom is still driving. I think I can say that. She's supposed to be driving anymore. <laughs> as long as she's driving. healthy. Dad stopped driving years ago. But And they travel. Yeah. And and we've. I'm very proud of my kids. And I'm very proud of what Mike has done with my kids. And, and so I'm a part of that. Probably a lesser than 50% part of that. But I still. Everything we've been able to do, especially recently in the travel. You know, we went to China with the kids. And Chinese and everyone speaks one or two or three languages and so they've been able to travel and they're healthy and I just think it's this is the way you want to live and this is the way yeah. you want to die. I mean beyond that you're helping is it fair to say thousands of other people to receive nourishment and food and wholesome food to be able to literally survive and then be healthy as yeah. well. Yeah so COVID was humbling. Yeah. But I I think we just got the best of COVID. Yeah, it sounds good. As a family, we we got to work together every day. And the older twins had 17 at the time, and they had their licenses. And they were just such a big help. And so they've now moved on to college. And now Sophie and Alex are the youngest that are at home, and our, our oldest are already out of the house. And if you, when you get on your deathbed, you realize you can't take the money with you. Yeah. Right. So you look back and you do see, oh, was watering the grass every day effective 
And some people would say, yes, my house is my most important thing. Yeah. And, well, parenthesis, I have asked the kids to water the grass, not myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good use of my time. <laughs> but when you look back, I, I, I would say, I would look back at this point in my life and I would say, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, I've had a great ride. It's been absolutely wonderful. And, and I'm thankful and grateful every day that my parents and my kids and my in-laws and my whole extended family has been very blessed and safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that can happen. Yeah. And then you see, we've been safe from that. Yeah. And so I don't know if that answers all the questions. There's three or four questions here. I'm going to look at this again, but on my living, living it now, yes, I'm absolutely living it now. I, yeah. I believe, I've been, I've, I've always been fortunate in living a great life and six kids many years outside the U.S. and travel and things like that, I think has been really a blessing. And, and, and it's also the culmination of all those experiences that have put us where we are today. Absolutely. So you can't just, you don't just wake up one day. It's, we started with an app for my daughter, but we had another app a couple of years ago and we had done some startup things. And it's the journey. Yeah. And if you look back at the journey, you say, wow, it, all of that whole journey is what got you to where you were at the end. Yeah. Then, then you've lived a good life. Right. Right. You can't take the money, and we don't have a lot of it. Yeah. But blessings and the, and the benefits of living a good life and living honestly, I think, and living with passion for life and sharing have been the greatest things that we could build into our family. And I yeah. think that's really you know, what we've been able to to to, uh, to, to have. Right? Yeah. That's, that's what, that we get to take home every day. Absolutely. Giving back to those other people around you and giving back to the community is very rewarding. Last question I'm going to ask you, and this is what I'll end with. I think I know your answer to this, but as a for-profit business, can you be profitable and sustainable? Can you be profitable and sustainable? Yes. Yes. If you're in business and you can combine both, then you've really done the best job possible. Yeah. And people that that do, people that are active and do lots of out of the common space, I'll mention Elon Musk as an example here, not that I know his life very well, but that he's done something extraordinary against a lot of odds he's really feels fulfilled yeah and it's stressful and you know you see some of the interviews he's very emotional and but he's really done something that's extraordinary and so he's doing both yeah right but there's not a lot of people but i think that's really would be the the target how do you become profitable and sustainable how can you do something for mother earth Mm -hmm. for the rest of humankind and also make a business out of it right and i think he's an extreme but even on a small, you know, ant minute space, as an example, if we can all do the same thing, if we can all give back, right? it would be a better community. Yeah. And it's really about local community, right? You can have lots of millions of dollars. I think if you're looking back at the end of your life and you've got hundreds of millions of dollars or millions of dollars in the bank and you've only benefited your family, I yeah. think that that's enough. Yeah. And, and we can be, we can be profitable. We've got a clear path to profitability. 
and we are sustainable. Yeah. And we are, and our footprint is a very low footprint. It's a very, it's a very volunteer, community positive, yeah, uh, sustainable model. And so we're combining it. It's not a very known model because some investors are looking for you just to be profitable. Right. And I think that's a short-term view of how business should be run. Yeah. Um, my perspective. Yeah. I think you can do both and you can do it. In our case, we see it as both. Mm-hmm. And we see that the people that are involved with us are people that are conscious about doing both. Yeah. And they see that it's not just one or the other. Right. It's really a combination of both. Right. It must be difficult for a nonprofit to raise money every year. Yeah. And the pressures of growing, 88% of all nonprofits have less than, a, I think it's a, a $500,000 budget. 77% are less than $100,000 operating budget a year. Wow. So they have to come up with a hundred or 500 yeah. 88% have to come up with $500,000 a year. And it's, there's a lot of effort involved in trying to raise money. Right. It is arguably one of the most difficult things you can yeah. do in business, right? Yeah. Running a business is easier than raising money for a business. Right. Right. And so it, for us, it's important. But I also think that more companies probably could do more. Yeah. And, but it has to be a really a conscious effort to, to do it. Yeah. It, do, it might not come naturally. Yeah. Right. Investor profits, like short-term gains are, we give up short-term, we give up long-term gains for short-term gains. Yeah. And so the, the drive to get profits may mean that you have to give up sustainability if you're not thinking long-term enough. Right. Yeah. But there are businesses that are good businesses that are sustainable businesses that are also profitable businesses. And if we could get more of those, I think everyone would benefit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been an absolute pleasure of having you and educating us on all things sustainability with food and food rescue. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I even knew that was a thing. And I think there's a lot of other people out there as well that, have no idea that food rescues even exist. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your night and sitting down in the hot seat with us and sharing with us about all the amazing things that Eats is doing and that you are producing in the community. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Josh and Brianna, for having me. I think I think you're, it's an important topic, and I'm excited to share it with you, and I love what you do. And, and bringing these topics to market, it's really about education. Absolutely. You said it yourself, right? You started this journal journey recently. It's because you just realized and became conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And somebody introduced you to it. Yeah. The more we do this, the better. Yes. So I would love to come back on at another time and, and, and talk to you about how the success from the pumpkins, how many yep. pumpkins we saved. we got to do part two of all the, the landfill. All the pigs that we've been feeding. And fed them to pigs and animals. Things. <laughs> I, I love hope it. Pumpkins don't have a conscious. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for joining it was us. Another good day. We had another good day. And if you line up enough good days, fuck around, have a good life.